You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. As you know, I'm next batter up. <laughs> Home run. Hey, uh, keep rooting for me. Keep praying for me, okay? <laughs> Amen. And I've got pastor's device, so this is going to be fun, okay, between my uh, not being able to see that well and maybe not being able to preach that well. I don't know, but <laughs> amen. Let's pray, first of all. Father God, in the matchless name of Jesus, Father God, I hide myself in thee, Father. Father God, let the words that come forth, God, be from your very heart to your very people, Father God, to your saints, God. Let them each hear so individually, God, just so perceptively, Father, the word that you have for them in the core of their being. Father God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to thee. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, you know, you guys know, I love Bible stories and uh, biblical characters, especially those that are relatable, right? And for me, David, King David, is so relatable. And I was thinking, Lord, why do I love David so much? And I think I love David so much because he was so faithful, and so flawed, right? He was a yin and the yang. How can you be the sweet psalmist of Israel and be a murderer and be an adulterer and be a backslider and still love God and be a man after God's own heart, right? So that's the whole dichotomy of David and his life. But what the Lord had really dealt with me on um, the lesson that I did for the group, which was called Reclaiming the Power of Submission. And I think that it was David's heart, his great heart of being submitted to God. Because even when David was called on the carpet, right? Remember how when the uh, prophet came to him and told him the story about the man with one uh, ewe lamb that uh, a neighbor had taken from him. And it was, you know, the neighbor had a whole flock of them. He had one. And David was enraged, right? He was so angry. He called for that man's life. And the prophet Samuel said, you are that man. You are that man. And that devastated David. And he was quick to repent. But I even went further into the story of David, and I thought, God, why did you allow David in the beginning? Remember the story of how he was selected as the son, right? And he was on the backside. They didn't even want to recognize him as being a son. And some of the biblical scholars uh, believe that he may have been a not quite Jesse's son, 
or questionable mama's baby daddy's maybe <laughs> son of jesse's and that that's why they didn't have him to be considered along with the other sons but david on the backside of the mountain taking care of the sheep was called forth by samuel and anointed right to be the next king of israel how magnificent is that when you're not expecting that right you're just back there working you're being faithful to your family you're not considering any kind of position you're the little son right that was david's life and then we know that he was a sweet psalmist of israel he was the one that was called forth with a lyre and the harp to quiet the demonic spirits of saul wow the sweet psalmist of israel but my question to god was god after you anointed him, after you sent Samuel out on the expedition to get David, find him, anoint him to be king. You know, we already know he was hardworking, right? He had the work ethic. He's out in the field with the sheep. He's faithful to that. He took bread to his brethren, remember? On the battlefield, he fought Goliath, right? He killed the bear. He killed the lion. And he was so gifted, so anointed. God, why didn't you allow him then, right, in his youth, to be king? Why, why not? Why not? He was already young. He was full of vim and vigor. He hadn't been defiled, right? He hadn't defiled himself. Why not then? And then God took me to the process and the power of submission, so first of all, we'll go off of our working title of submission. The definition is the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And our scripture verse for today is Philippians 2, 6 through 11. And it is a King James Version and it reads, who, speaking of Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus knew that he was part of the Godhead, that he was in every facet of his being equal with God. But verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus is our first example of submission. Fully God, fully God with all of the majesty and all of the divinity, and all of the royalty of heaven, why would he put on the dirty rags of humanity and submit himself, right? But he did because his father asked him to, amen? So going back to, Saul, uh, going back to David, I, I questioned God, and I was like, God, why? Why does it seem that we have to go through the process of submission? We see other biblical characters that have done the same. I always think, God, you missed the opportunity with Moses. 
you know, you missed it, God, when he was the king of Egypt, when he was the king of Egypt and had all the authority, all the knowledge, all the training, all the vim and vigor, why didn't you use him then? Why did you wait for 40 years for him to go to the backside of a desert, right, as a nomad, really as a fugitive, as a fugitive, running away from Pharaoh? Why? Why didn't you use him when he was in position and he had all the authority? No doubt he had all the swagger right, of being the king, of being the prince of Egypt. Well, God said that he uses process to perfect us, amen, to mature us. Um, even with David, it's so amazing to me how David, not because of his self, but because he was hated by Saul, not for anything that he did, not for anything that he did because he loved Saul. And he had a special relationship with Jonathan, Saul's son. But because of his gift, he was hunted, right? He was hunted down for years, had to hide in caves. I'm like, God, what were you teaching him? Why did he have to go through that? And why do we have to go through what we have to go through? Um, Pastor and I were talking, and this started the conversation that um, as we're doing a lot of counseling, interestingly enough now, that we've run across a lot of people in ministry that don't understand the cost of ministry. And they think that because they are gifted, and they are gifted, that they are able to hang up a sign and hang up a shingle <laughs> and get going, right? Before they pay the cost. But there's always a cost, amen? And God wants us to be mature in him. So these are some of the things that I believe that the Lord shared with me that he uh, did from the life of David because it's all about submission and obedience. They go hand in hand. Because if we're not submissive and obedient, then we are what? Rebellious. And rebellion is like a Jezebel spirit. So I will give a few quick traits. So hopefully red flags of a Jezebel spirit and that spirit that doesn't want to submit. Number one, a Jezebel spirit refuses to admit guilt or wrong. A Jezebel spirit is never wrong, even uh, unless it's a temporary admittance of guilt to gain favor with someone. Number two, a Jezebel spirit will take credit for everything. Wow. Number three, a Jezebel spirit will use others to accomplish its goals. Remember Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, right, that was running after the uh, prophet Elijah? Even in running after him, she was threatening to destroy him, right? To kill him, promised to. She said, by sundown, you know, you'll be dead or I'll be dead, <laughs> something along that line. But she wasn't going to do it. She was going to use others to do it. Amen? And so that's a Jezebel spirit that they will use other people for their evil devices. Number four, a Jezebel spirit will withhold information because that's a form of control. They like to think that they know something that no one else knows. 
Uh, number five, a Jezebel spirit talks in confusion. They're never frank. They're not upfront. They, they deal with blurriness and obscurity. Number six, a Jezebel spirit will volunteer for anything, right? They don't really have a call to anything specific, but they like to meddle. Number seven, a Jezebel spirit is a lying spirit. They will lie very convincingly to your face many times. <laughs> okay, number eight, a Jezebel spirit ignores people unless they think you're important, right? And I always like to watch how people treat people that they think aren't important. And number nine, a Jezebel spirit never gives credit or shows gratitude, a very ungrateful spirit. And finally, number 10, a Jezebel spirit is a, is a, criticizes everyone. It's a characteristic of a controller. If they're not the one that makes the plan, even if they like the plan, they don't like that they didn't make the plan, right? Okay, so I know we don't have any of those spirits in the house, amen. But one of the reasons that God used David's life the way that he did was, you know, from the promise to the promotion. Well, don't we just wish that we could go from being promised to promoted? I would just love that, right? You know, God says that you're the head, not the tail. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. But he doesn't tell you that there's a lot of room between the head and the tail. Amen. <laughs> there are fleas between that head and that tail. Amen. <laughs> you know, but so we have the promise from God. And when we're called and we're all called, and we have a gift on our life, we are ready to rush out and do it. Bless God, I know I can do it. I can do it better than my boss. You know, I can do it better than my supervisor. I can do it better than my pastor. And I can sure do it better than my pastor's wife. Amen. <laughs> you probably can. But the promise is God's, right? I mean, the promise belongs to us. God gives it to us. But the timing is God's, amen? So the process that God uses is that he kills things. Just like David was given the charge of protecting, God had to know that David was able to carry the full weight of being king of Israel. Excuse me. Can you imagine what that would be, the weight of that? Um, fortunately for me, I, I look at big ministries and, you know, or people that are in, in positions like that, you know, corporations or whatever it is. And I never yearn for that. I really don't. Because I think I can only imagine the weight of that, right? You know, even uh, TV ministers and people that are in that public life and have 35,000 or 40,000 members, can you imagine the weight of that? I can't even imagine the weight of that, what that must be right, to live that fishbowl existence and that sort of thing. But they have to be developed. It's a process. Nobody gets there overnight. Whatever we're doing, we don't get there overnight. And uh, we were talking to Celsi. Earlier, I'm going to tell Celsi <laughs> in our conversation. I just so love Celsi. But um, she could not believe, and it's really true, that I'm a natural introvert. I am. I can go home and just mind my business and not talk to people. And forever, it was a job for me to speak 
in front of people. I mean, I would literally be terrified. You could hear my knees shaking through the microphone. And it's not gotten that much better. I mean, it's still a, it's still a struggle. But I had to um, be processed to where God wanted to use me. And we all have to be. We all have to be. We all have to start somewhere, right, with the baby steps. So usually when I first started, it would be a microphone passed to me as I'm sitting down. And nobody would see me. And they're like, well, where's that voice coming from? That's pretty weird. <laughs> but that's what I could manage, right, at that time. So David was the same way. He had to be on the backside of the desert where nobody saw him doing the job with the sheep. Can you imagine what a lonely existence? You are out there with a bunch of dumb sheep, right? A bunch of dumb sheep. <laughs> bang, 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 and try to keep them from running off the cliff. I guess that's what sheep do because they're pretty stupid, I understand. You know, but he had to actually give his life for the sheep, right? Because he could have died killing a bear. Really? Killing a lion for the sheep? But he was faithful in the little. And that's part of the process that God uses is how faithful are you? How faithful are you when there's not a parade? How faithful are you when there's not a stage? How faithful are you when people aren't clapping? How faithful are you? So the process proved David's faithfulness. Also the process God used pressure. You know, can you imagine running from a king for your life? It's not like just running from any crazy person. You're running from a demented, demonic king who has an army, right? He has people to do his bidding, and their number one charge is to off with your head. You know, how much pressure is that? You know, how much time did he have to spend in the caves just praying, God, Get me through today. I don't understand. This does not look like anointed right now. This does not look like blessed right now. This doesn't look like the head. This looks more like the tail. Why am I running for my life? So David had to be able to withstand the pressure, the pressure and the tough places. Then this is the most amazing to me. Number four. David had to preserve what was, uh, what was appointed and anointed by God. And what was that? On two opportunities, David had the option. God gave him the ability to kill Saul. Can you imagine that? You have the ability you know, to me, that's like a lottery ticket. How? Oh, you know, you have the ability to kill someone that's trying to kill you. Wouldn't that seem justifiable, honestly? I'm like, God, you set that up for him to be able to do it. Why didn't he do it? Because David honored what God had put in place. And so many times, saints, I believe that God gives us those same tests, that we will have someone in our path that we could maybe rightfully, justifiably cut off, right? Take their head off, ruin their reputation, say something slanderous, right? And maybe they'd been an enemy. Maybe they had been hurtful. Maybe they betrayed us, you know, but the fact that God puts us in process 
to see if we will honor who he honors is a test of maturity. Amen? And then number five, perseverance. David had to trust God in caves. He had to trust God um, with running for his life. He had to trust God that, you know, he was hungry lots of times. He had to go to, uh, to Nob and go to the, to the priest and, and beg for offering from the food. Did that look like anointing? He must have thought all the time, you must have been mistaken, because <laughs> this is everything but a king. And have you ever been in a position where your circumstances light on your destiny? That where you were looked like nothing God had promised? This does not look like anointed God. This does not look like righteousness, God. God, this doesn't look like prosperity. This doesn't look like health. This doesn't look like wholeness. This doesn't look like my family saved. But we still have to trust him and persevere, right? Even in the caves. Then number six, the people skills. Bad enough that David was in the desert, in caves, in horrible circumstances. But did you see who God sent him? <laughs> it was literally a motley crew. You know, I researched David's mighty men. And they were anything but mighty and much less than honorable. They were a lot of them a bunch of thieves. They owed taxes to the government. Many of them were on the run themselves from Saul because they were fugitives. Others of them were discontent that wanted to overthrow his kingdom. So they were anything but what you would want for mighty men. But David had to learn the people skills to bring out the mighty valor in what he was given. He had to see the treasure right, in the earthen vessel that God gave him. And don't we have to do the same? We have to do the same. We have to see, you know what, they look kind of crazy right there, but there's a spark in them, right? And we have to draw that out, and that's what David learned in the process. And number seven, David learned, and this is one of the most amazing things to me about David. Even though he had his moments of discouragement and and some psalms, it seems like he's very whiny. <laughs> David learned how to praise God in pain. How to praise God in pain. How to praise God when it didn't look right. How to praise God when it didn't feel right. How to praise God when he was tired. How to praise God when he was discouraged. David learned how to praise God in pain. And then finally, David realized, finally, I think, it, when he became uh, king and through the processes of his life, he learned that promotion comes from the Lord. So he never took glory for what belonged to God because he remembered, right, Goliath. He remembered uh, the bear. He remembered the lion. He remembered all that he went through. And even when he became king, right? Even though he was able to bear the weight of the kingdom, still he made mistakes, as we will. But David developed such a relationship with God that he never ran from him. And that's what I always admired about David, because when really, in actuality, when you compare Saul and David, you know, if you just look at their deeds, who was the more evil? actually David. 
David. David was a murderer. He set Uriah up to be murdered. He was an adulterer. He wasn't the best father. I mean, the list goes on of David's um, not the best characteristics, right? But what was the big difference between David and Saul? David had the heart of God. David loved God with his very being and was quick to run to God. Saul loved appearance. Saul loved the people. Saul loved the applause. Saul loved the parade and all of, all of the finery that went with being king. He loved um, the applause of the people more than the presence of God, so much so that he didn't even realize when the Spirit of God had left him. So, in finality, and I'm not going to be here with you long, it is... Um, the great lesson of this that God taught me and showed me is that he allows all of us to go through hard places to sharpen us, right? To mature us, to make us wiser, you know? I think that we could all see that in our own lives. I know there was a period of time that when the Lord gave me um, the Queen's ministry, it was at the worst possible time. And I remember telling God this exactly, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Why didn't you do it when I was, um, when I had support, when I had money? You know, five years ago, it would have been the perfect time, God. You know, uh, my daughter lived across the street. I was, you know, not a widow. I was not despondent. I mean, things were looking good, God. I remember I was confident then. I think I was sharper then, you know? Really, I would have looked good for you then, God. Why didn't you do it then? Why didn't you do it then? Not now. It's too late now. And God said, you're exactly where I want you to be because now you know that it is all me. And so on that, I will close. And um, I just feel led that I, you know, anybody that feels that they are in the process, maybe on the potter's wheel, maybe their family, their marriage, their circumstances are on the potter's wheel. And as much as we talk about kingdom and we believe kingdom and we walk kingdom in this house, that maybe you don't feel like a king and maybe you don't feel like a queen. And maybe there's a bunch of unanswered questions and there's silent tears. And, you know, God, I just need to be reminded that you still have a plan. I still need to be reminded that I'm your beloved. I still need to be reminded that there's promotion for me. I still need to be reminded that there's destiny for me. I still need to be reminded that there's health for me. If that's anybody in the room, we welcome you to come to the altar and that we might agree with you. Amen? Amen. Uh, all of us here are probably in places of our lives where we're just having challenges and saying, you know, I'm not nearly where I thought I would be at this stage of my life. It, does anything look different than you thought it was going to look right now? I mean, I mean, different. My mother talks to me, she says, uh, she says, you know, getting old is not no joke. 
And I remember when she used to get around and run around and do stuff and uh, as a retired person, because she retired really early and she was able to go and just get around the world and travel and do all kinds of things that she wanted to do. And all of a sudden, one day there was a shift. Things began to change in her life, but you know what happened? Uh, listen, her heart for God never changed. Now, I've seen the other side of this as well because I've seen people that have been in a position where they have their life change and their heart changes right with it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, their heart changes to the degree that they're angry at God. I mean, just despondent about God. Because it doesn't look like or feel like what they thought it ought to look like and feel like. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? So you don't have to be old for that to happen. That can happen to you right now. That can happen, I mean, right now. I mean, for me personally, as I, I look in, I, I, I thought I would be somewhere totally different than I am right now. But you know what? I still love God with all my heart. I love him with everything that's in me because whatever he has been doing, I haven't always understood, but I know he's been doing. Watch this part. If he stopped doing what he's doing, it's not going to be no good. Because what ends up happening, we start having to do what we're going to do. We start doing stuff thinking that, well, this will fix it, and this will fix it, and this will fix it, and this will fix it. It doesn't ever fix it, does it? This morning, Vanita gave an altar call for you to come to the altar this morning. If you want to sit where you are, that's fine. We're going to pray with you. I, want to, I really feel compelled that we need to pray. Because see, every one of us will go through this scenario, these things, these changes that we have that happened in life. And, and, and I, see, I, I, can't, I, I can't live your life. I'm not in your head. I don't understand what's really going on. But you feel and I feel sometimes that nobody understands what I'm going through. Can't anybody understand it? You know what? You're right. Most people can't because they're not you. They're not me. I can empathize with your pain, but I really don't know your pain like you know it. The stuff you're going through is really your stuff. But I will tell you this, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Though you turn your back on him, he won't turn his back on you. Though you think that he's just forgotten everything that's been going on, he's not forgotten a thing. He knows it all. Why don't we do this this morning? As you're near somebody, grab their hand, and let's begin to pray one for another. Grab somebody's hand right where you're sitting this morning. Let's pray one for another. I'm going to be praying out loud, but I want you to pray along uh, that, for that person as well sitting beside you. Father, I thank you for all these that are here today. Yeah, Lord, they've come, Father God, with a, an attitude and expectation, Father, that you're ministering wholeness to their lives. God, I pray now in Jesus' name, Father, for every person that's here under the sound of my voice. That, Lord, though we go through stuff and we don't always understand the stuff we go through, we know that you're shaping us and you're molding us, Father God, to your image. You're doing something in us, Father, to cause change to happen in us. Even though that our, our attitudes may even go awry on occasion, Father, get our attitudes back in alignment with you today. 
Father, as our bodies are racked with pain sometimes, our minds are sometimes not as alert as we thought they ought to think they ought to be. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that you would give us our spirits, a, a supernatural charge today. That we would see our spirit, Father God, in a whole new way. We'd see ourselves as being born again of the Spirit of God. Knowing your change that you have to have to happen in our lives. God is doing something. You're doing something, Father. You're doing something in us that we can't do on our own. Father, because you're still with us. Because you're still with us, God. God, you've never left us nor forsaken us. We thank you for that. Father, let's find, let us find a way to praise you. Let us find a way to worship you. Let us find a way to see, sing adoration and praises to your name. Let us find a way to give you honor and glory. Lord, let us find a way to do those things. Because deep down within us, we know in the reservoirs of our soul, there you are. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there you are. Though we're on the mountaintop, there you are. Though things don't look right, Father, there you are. Father, we thank you right now. We bless you for, for, for holding on to us when we can't hold on to ourselves, for keeping us alive when we don't want to live anymore, for keeping us moving forward in you, Lord God, when we choose to go another direction. Father, order our steps right now. Order our steps, oh God, we pray in the name of Jesus. You say the steps of a righteous man are ordered by you, Lord God. Order every one of our steps in your ways today. That we seek your ways and not our own. That we align ourselves up with your, your word, Father God. Your word is true forever settled in heaven and even in our hearts even right now. God, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word to, to look at the stories of the people's lives that are real people that have gone through real stuff. People that work perfect use in a great capacity Lord God even as we are not perfect you use in a great capacity no matter what it happens to be we thank you Lord that you will use us still we yield ourselves to you Father in our condition that we happen to be in we yield ourselves to you broken and contrite hearts are what you're looking for and we give you that right now bruised and battered Father sometimes we know that we can get up one more time God, resurrect newness of life on the inside of us today that will see you in an entirely different way. God, we give you praise and we give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. When we do clap to the Lord like that, we're not just clapping because I said to do it. We're clapping because we're really honoring him. Really honoring him for what he is doing in our lives, how he is taking us from faith to faith and glory to glory, how he's allowing our lives to be changed even though we don't, we don't see. Listen, I'm telling you, sometimes we're right in the middle of the stuff. We're right in the middle of the stuff and we want to see the end, but we cannot see the end until we go through the middle. And it's so painful to go through the middle. It's painful to go through the middle. It's painful to go through the middle. I'm telling you, it's a tough thing to do that. But listen, when you get to the other side, you can talk about it. <laughs> but you can't talk about it until you get to the other side. <sighs> you don't hear